And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. It's, of course, the second best day of the week. That's right, Thursday. That also means Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning. Uh, to talk a little bit about, well, what the Fed is going to do next. I mean, this is going to be kind of an important thing here for the markets. As we've talked about over the last, you know, really four or five weeks now, um, you know, back in late September, early October, we were talking about the market was very oversold, very negative biased. And of course, the Fed was in the process of hiking rates and that we were due for a rally. Um, the problem with the rally is, and particularly after that weak CPI report that we saw last week where we had this big 5.5% jump in one day, Fed doesn't like that, right? Uh, when the market starts getting these ideas about a Fed pivot and, and you know, we need to, you know, markets need to run up now because the Fed's close to hiking rates, uh, that's really not what the Fed wants. And we're going to talk about that this morning because it has implications not only just in terms of monetary policy, but likely what's going to happen next year as well. And, and, and really more importantly, as we start hearing more from Fed speakers, we'll go through some of what Waller said uh, over the last couple of days, Brainerd and others. Um, you know, this all has to relate back to what's going to happen with Fed policy. The market tending to get a little bit ahead of itself. And this is why we've talked about using this rally to, to you know, raise some cash, reduce some equity risk. We've been doing that over the last couple of days. Um, markets have been selling off here just a bit. Again, nice rally here uh, back to the 200-day moving average. We had set out a target from 4,000 to 4,100 uh, for this rally. So, so far, we're kind of just tracking right in that range. We got right above 4,000, um, you know, sold off from that, um, you know, uh, yesterday. Um, but again, you know, nothing wrong here with the markets. Um, as we've talked about, still on a buy signal. That buy signal is getting fairly extended here, so that's one thing to be uh, at least considerate of. Um, and markets got a little bit on the overbought side, so we're you know kind of working off some of the overbought condition. That's completely okay, right? Nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean any type of you need to panic and go sell everything. That's not what that's not what we're saying. Just markets need to breathe here a little bit. And, and we've talked about this previously. And, and kind of look at this, you know, markets have had this very nice uptrend channel that we've been working in for the last really five weeks. And we got right to the top of that uptrend channel, coming off of that a bit. Uh, that's going to bring next support levels down here right around the 20-day moving average. So, that, so these really short-term moving averages are now starting to rise. That's bullish. That gives the markets a little bit of support here. Uh, the 20-day moving average crossed above the 50-day. I know it's a bunch of technical stuff, particularly if you're driving your car right now. Don't worry about it. All it means is, is that support levels for the markets have been coming up here over the course of the last couple of weeks. That's all good news, right? Nothing wrong with that. Doesn't mean to panic. But again, as we talk about what is kind of coming down the pipeline here, higher interest rates, the Fed set to hike interest rates by 50 basis points in December. That's more monetary policy tightening. We did see very good retail sales yesterday. <clears throat> that got the Atlanta Fed their GDP estimate now for the fourth quarter is at 4.4 percent. 
on GDP. That's real. That's inflation adjusted, 4.4%. So the Atlanta Fed, very optimistic here right now about what's going on economically. But as we talked about yesterday, a lot of that retail sales number was because of those stimulus checks out in California feeding through the system that helped buoy retail sales also had Halloween. So again, we'll see what happens now with Thanksgiving and with Christmas sales. That's, that's going to really be the kind of the key kicker here um, in terms of the next month and a half of, of what happens economically. But again, uh, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with the economy right now. Employment is still very strong. Uh, jobless claims out today. Might see those pick up here a little bit. So uh, again, there's no big pressure on the Fed at the moment to stop hiking rates. And as we continue to tighten that monetary policy, as we've talked about before, that lag effect will show up as we get into next year. So again, just can't reiterate enough here that this rally, while very nice, is likely not the beginning of the next bull market cycle yet. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. And, and this is the important part, right? One of the issues that we have as investors is we tend to think when a market goes into a particular trend, that that trend is now the new permanent trend. So I'm, I'm getting a lot of emails uh, with people saying, well, this market's just gonna go lower forever. No, it's not. Um, we're actually getting closer to the end of this cycle than not. Bear markets tend to be fairly compressed. They tend to be about 18 to 24 months on average. So again, we're getting fairly long now into that kind of that bear market, bearish action type market. So again, we're going to get through this and we'll get into the next leg of the bull market cycle when it comes, but you got to survive all this, right? And so again, don't get too looped up into this rally here thinking that it's the beginning of a new bull market. I know you see a lot of that in the media is like, oh, the bottom's in. It's not. The Fed's still got a lot of work to do here and the markets have to still accommodate for higher interest rates, compression of margins, those type of issues. And, and, that's, and that all has an impact ultimately on the pricing of the market. Again, as we take a look at valuations, we've talked about this before, valuations, terrible market timing. Never use valuations as a market timing tool. Terrible for that. But what valuations tell you is what the future value of the market's going to be. And, and it tells you what your long-term returns are going to be. And whether you're looking at market cap to GDP or price to earnings ratios, whatever they are, they're still very elevated, even on a forward basis. But as earnings come down, prices have to come down as well. If earnings come down and prices stay where they are, valuations go up, not down. So prices have to adjust for lower earnings. That's still coming Next year, earnings estimates are coming down. Earnings are slowing down. Saw a target recently here. Uh, Walmart reported really good earnings, but the important thing about Walmart, Walmart's earnings, as an example of what I'm saying, Walmart reported much better earnings than expected, but still negative growth rates in earnings. The negative growth rate just wasn't as bad as what they thought previously. They originally thought the negative growth was going to be 12% down, it was only going to be six to seven. So Walmart had a big rally on better than expected news, but the earnings themselves were still trending negatively. And that's, we're going to see a lot more of that. The market still has to adjust valuation wise for lower earnings. So again, these are the things that you need to be paying attention to. Again, nothing wrong with the markets here uh, short term. Um, everything is fine. Markets are, per, you know, kind of performing as expected. We are starting to burn up a lot of that, you know, a lot of that fuel that we had for this rally. We've used a lot of that. So again, just going back to what I started saying, 
you know, use this rally, take a little bit of profit, raise some cash. You know, one thing that's been working very well here as of late, something Mike and I will talk about this morning as well. Um, bonds have been producing a very nice return over the last few days. In fact, we've had a very big jump in bond prices here over the last few days. Yields coming down, uh, back down to well below uh, 4% now. So we're already starting to see some of that kind of early trend, rising bottoms and in, 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 in prices of bonds, starting to see an uptick. Bonds got above the 50-day moving average. That's positive. There's plenty of room right now for bonds to rise <laughs> a good bit uh, percentage-wise. So if yields start to come down and expectations of weaker economic growth, well, we're going to start to end in weaker inflation. We could very well see a very nice run in bonds here over the next couple of months. Okay, we're going to come back from the break. Got a lot to talk about today with Michael Leibowitz. He's been off on vacation for weeks, so we've got a lot of catching up to do. Um, also, coming up on the website, Tuesday, we did our economic outlook. We'll have that economic summit kind of outlook on our website next couple of days. So uh, as soon as Brent gets it posted up, it'll be on the website. If you're looking for it, realinvestmentadvice.com. Go by there, get our latest daily commentary that's out this morning, as well as our newsletter out this weekend. Make sure you're subscribed and we'll email it to you. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, as uh, kind of every day goes around, I don't know what that was. <laughs> something, something fell. Uh, we'll find it. Uh, anyway, strange noises. I've been watching this scary show on uh, Amazon Prime. And uh, not, not, it's not really scary. It's just kind of one of those psychological thrillers. Yeah. And so now when I hear these noises, I kind of... <laughs> <laughs> kind of look over my shoulder. So paranoid, <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, a couple of things that you know we've been talking about over the last uh, you know weeks, and just what I just kind of touched on here a second ago. You know, there are things that are starting to kind of crack in financial markets, and not all of them are related directly to what the Fed's doing. I mean, you know, every day right now on the media. FTX, right? The whole Sam Bankman freed. We've talked about this. But, you know, these are the things that, you know, we see occur in the boom cycle of a market, right? So if we go back to 2008 as an example, 2007, right? Everybody's taken out a just rate mortgage, ninja loans, no income, no job loans. 
Um, you know, there was just, you know, all kinds of like funny loans being made to people because we were just slamming them into homes as fast as we could. We thought this was all a great idea because then we could take this mortgage up from these people that bought homes they really couldn't afford. Then we could slice it and dice it and create, you know, other loans out of them and then do all these derivatives on those loans and sell them off to people. Everybody's making money hand over fist. And as long as people are making money hand over fist, nobody really cares about the risk. And, you know, while FTX is not symptomatic of, you know, higher interest rates, tighter monetary policy, it is symbolic of what happens during that boom cycle, right? So we had all this liquidity in the markets. Everybody starts chasing the riskiest of assets. And not surprisingly, you know, things come apart at the seams. Uh, you know, remember when we were talking about, you know, a year and a half ago, everybody's buying land in the metaverse and these non-fungible tokens for millions of dollars and, you know, those have evaporated. And that's just part of the boom-bust cycle. That's just the part we're in. Now, what exacerbates those boom-bust cycles, of course, is tighter monetary policy, which is why the Fed hikes interest rates, right? So we've been talking about this ad nauseum now for a while. The Fed's goal is to strip the excess out of the market. That's they they need to do that. Need they need to slow down consumption in order to get inflation down. That's why they hike interest rates. It, it increases borrowing costs in individuals. Your credit card rate goes up. Cost you more, you know, inflation's cost you more at the store. So got to do some demand destruction in order to provide that there's more supply than there is demand, which brings down prices, a.k.a. inflation. Okay, so, that, I mean, that's that's the whole Fed's goal. That's that's their blunt instrument in terms of fighting inflation, right? They, they can control the interest rate on the short end of the curve. Now, this is one of the mistakes that people think, too, is that just because the Fed's hiking interest rates on the short end, that the entire curve bends to their will, and that's not true, right? The Fed controls the very short end of the curve. The long end of the curve represents economy, wages, inflation, those type of things. So anyway, having said all that, the market's been rallying over the last few weeks, not unlike we saw back in July and August on this idea the Fed is going to pivot. Oh, the Fed's going to pivot. They're going to stop hiking rates. They're going to start lowering rates and, and stopping QT, go back to QE, and we're back into the next bull cycle. We've got FOMO, the fear of missing out, of the next bull market cycle. So every, so every time that there's a bit of good news here, we start talking about Fed pivot. A little less inflation, Fed's going to pivot now. And the Fed doesn't like that because higher asset prices, that increases consumer confidence because they feel better, their 401k goes up. So they go out and spend more money. That keeps pressure on inflation. So they've got to stop that. Anyway, so that's the that's the juxt of the conversation this morning with Michael Leibowitz. Michael, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Lance. How are you? Good. So we, so not surprisingly, um, you know, we, you know, we, you and I had spoken about this prior to the last uh, inflation report. We said, hey, if inflation comes in, we're going to expect it. Could see a big move in the markets. We did, and not surprisingly, we've also seen some Fed speakers coming out here over the last couple of days saying, "Hold your horses a bit. <laughs> we're not ready to pivot just yet." Right. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, they this when the market rallies, that actually works against what the Fed's trying to do here. Right. Uh, look, everyone's talking about a pivot. They will pivot. I guarantee you they will pivot. 
it's not a question of whether they pivot or not. It's a question of when do they pivot. And the market seems to think that they're just going to get a, a good inflation number, maybe two good inflation numbers and pivot, start dropping rates and QT. That's not going to happen. And they're warning us that's not going to happen. For them to pivot, something has to break. We've talked about financial instability. That may be what causes the Fed to pivot. Pivot. A big bank is going under. A company is having problems. The bond, the corporate bond markets, not bond markets, but corporate bond markets, especially junk debt, is failing. Uh, you know, a foreign country is failing. Something like that will get the Fed to pivot. In yeah, we, time, and we have, and just, and just by the way, we have none of that going on right now. Right. Right. If you look at corporate bond yields, they look fine that they're, you know, in the range of average over the last 20 years. There's nothing there. Hedge funds, you know, we're seeing a couple crypto hedge fund related things to this FTX, but there's really no damage there. Or yeah. pension and, and, funds and, or endowment funds. Right. And just real quick about FTX. Right. You know, there was there was some comments out uh, last week while you were on vacation in Spain. Um you know, playing around, whatever you were doing, instead of working. Mm -hmm. um, but there were there were some comments. I was like, oh, FTX, this is the Lehman moment of the financial markets. No, it's not. FTX is is a drop in the bucket in terms of size of an impact on the market. More importantly, the difference between FTX and Lehman, as an example, when Lehman went into bankruptcy, it wasn't the bankruptcy of Lehman that was the problem. The problem was the perception that Lehman was a catalyst for all the other banks. And so what happened is all the other banks said, you know, Mike is Credit Suisse and I'm Mer and I'm uh, uh, Goldman Sachs. And I go, I'm not going to trade with Mike because I don't know if Mike's going to be in business tomorrow. You know, Lehman just went out of business. What if Mike goes out of business? So everybody just stopped dealing with each other. FTX is not that. This is, you know, the, the major banks are not involved in cryptocurrencies, you know, et cetera, to any great degree. So there's not a concern on the credit side of the market that FTX is going to cause a failure of credit related assets. So, you know, so it, while FTX is interesting to look at in terms of, as I said before, excesses created during a bull market, it's not a credit related event that causes banks to fail. Uh, it's is, a that, is that a good assessment? It's a fascinating soap opera. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think and I think that's important because I think there's a good example we have in the more traditional brokerages, custodians, and that's John Corzine's fund. And mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of it, but but they were playing kind of similar games using clients money. They were a broker dealer and they were using clients money to invest. They lost. And the firm ended up going under and clients lost their money that they, they are not. They were not a crypto fund. They were bond stocks type yeah. of fund. M M there was, was a, no contagion. M yeah, it was called MF Global. That's right. MF yeah. Global. So so the question, you know, for a Fed to pivot, something's going to break. We're not there yet. It doesn't mean something can't break in two weeks, but that's not on the horizon right now. Yeah. And then the other thing that's going to get them to pivot is if the the labor market really breaks down, which we're not seeing We're, you know, it's almost fair to say we're not seeing any signs of that. Right. Yes, there are some big tech layoffs. But when you look at jobless claims, the BLS employment data, the data from ADP, 
it's weakening on the margin, but nothing significant, nothing that tells you that there's going to be much higher unemployment. Yeah, and that's, and that's an interesting point because I talked about that with Danny this weekend. You know, a lot of these big tech firms staffed up a ton of people during the 2020, 2021 period where, you know, all this stimulus checks were coming to the market. We'd shut down the economy. So all these tech companies that were providing, you know, uh, you know, Grubhub services, door delivery, whatever, uh, that accommodated towards this kind of, you know, shutdown economy, they were just hiring a bunch of staff. So everybody was on the social media, Zoom, Peloton, all this, right? So what we're seeing in a lot of these companies is, yes, they're shedding jobs, but they're really just kind of getting back to where they were pre-pandemic labor-wise. So, you right. know, right now we've seen, yes, we've seen some some job layoffs, but we really haven't seen that go into the rest of the economy. We're seeing a few. And we talked about this with Danny on Wednesday. You know, Maersk, FedEx, some of these other industrial companies starting to do some layoffs. But we're not seeing that layoff structure really spread through a vast, you know, healthcare, industrials, materials, you know, uh, staples, discretionary. You're not seeing a lot of layoffs in, you know, Costco's not cutting a bunch of their staff. Walmart's not cutting a bunch of staff yet. So we haven't really seen it spread outside of tech. Right. Well, there was a little bit. FedEx yeah. is uh, Amazon's laying off 10,000. FedEx is going to furlough some workers, which is a little disturbing from a pre-holiday type uh, behavior. But it, it's not a lot of jobs at the end of the day. Yeah. and but, but, but FedEx is a good example of what I was saying, right? FedEx hired a bunch of people right. uh, during the pandemic shutdown. And so really, they're just kind of reducing staff back to what is probably a more normal level that people have now gotten back into, you know, going back to work, whatever, right? Right, right. It's all part of a normalization process yeah. that we're going through. But that's that's far different than recessionary. Right, right. And yeah. that's why I'm saying that that will not, in the, in the short term at least, get the Fed to pivot. Yeah, And then you have inflation. That's kind of the last one. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we come back from the break because we have seen inflation peak here, but, you know, it's still high. <laughs> we'll talk about inflation when we come back from the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So when we were on a break, we have this commercial. It's a, it's a promo for the show. And uh, talking, we were making a comment uh, earlier this week, or was it last week? 
That's last week. That was last week. Yeah, so last yeah. week we're talking about odds and betting, right? And and that a lot of you know, when it comes down to investing, you know, a big part of investing is is gambling, right? Speculation. And what happens, you know, is when people have a lot of we were relating this back to 2020 when people had all these stimmy checks and they were buying these bank basically bankrupt companies, the hundred to one shots, right? And you know, sometimes you can win those. Doesn't happen very often. And so I made this comment and it was on the commercial about Usain Bolt could, you know, Brent could beat Usain Bolt in a sprint, but it's not likely. It's possible. But I just thought it was interesting that he said that because a female ultra marathoner completed a hundred mile world record run of 12 hours and 41 minutes. She's 40 years old, by the way, which is pretty incredible. But a tw- she did 100 miles in 12 hours. Now, just that's pretty impressive. Impressive. She has been denied the world record because the course was incorrectly measured. It was 716 feet short of 100 miles. So, and she does the run, right? But because somebody incorrectly measured it, by 716 feet, she's now been denied the world record. Has she torn that guy limb to limb? Not yeah. yet, but yeah. I'm just thinking you could maybe beat her. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Not likely. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's that. Now that sucks. I mean, that's just, you know. Well, maybe she holds the world's records for uh, 11 miles and 5,000 feet. Could be. You know. <laughs> Let's give her that I don't medal. Th- <laughs> we'll, we'll give her that record. We'll yeah. have the Brent World Record book, yes. right? So the five point nine eight mile or whatever <laughs> no, it is. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Um, back to what we're talking about before. You know, talking about the Fed and you know the one thing that would cause the Fed to pivot and and again we we have to we have to be careful here about the term pivot. And every time I say the word pivot, I just keep thinking about Ross and friends <laughs> trying to get the trying to get the couch up the staircase. Pivot! pivot! <laughs> but we have to be careful about this term pivot because, you know, it is not what, you know, if you Mike, have you ever seen the movie The Princess Bride? Yes. OK. Course. All right, so you remember the Princess Bride when um, the the Sicilian keeps using a, a particular term, and eventually Montoya looks at her and says, "I don't think that means what you think it means," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that is the word pivot. Is right. that I don't think investors really understand. I think they think it means something that they really don't know that that's what it means because a pivot is the Fed. Going, you know, dropping interest rates back to zero. That is, you know, making a 180 degree turn, a pivot on what they're doing. So that's going from QE to QT. That is dropping interest rates, not hiking interest rates. A pivot is not a pause and a pivot is not just slowing the pace of rate hikes. And I think this is important because um, as we talk about inflation coming down here, inflation came in at four tenths of an uptick in the last report and that was less than expected and expectations are now that the fed will quote unquote pivot by only hiking rates 50 basis points 
both of those are still a 50 basis point rate hike in any day of the year is still an aggressive rate hike. It's just not 75 basis points. And four tenths of a percent inflation is 4.8% a year in inflation. That is certainly not a reduction in inflation. It's just not growing as fast. And those are two right. very different things from a pivot. Right. And here's the other thing, Lance, we're talking about financial instability. What's another example of financial instability? Stock market falling 30, 40, 50%. Mm -hmm. That may get the Fed to pivot. But if you own stocks today, that's not the pivot you want. Right. The, when the Fed pivots, it may not necessarily be what investors want it to be. The Fed will be pivoting. There are a number of reasons the Fed could pivot where it's very bad for investors. Mm. That's not, you know, the Fed's coming to the rescue, essentially. Right. And you don't want to be rescued. So this whole idea of pivot is ludicrous right now. And look, they will pivot. We know they will. But it's not on the horizon yet. And if it becomes on the horizon in the next few months, it's not going to be a good pivot. It's going to be <laughs> yeah. a bad pivot. Yeah. You, you, basically, you don't run in to put out the fire if there's no fire, right? You just you don't come in right. and drench the house in water. Um, but but again, and, and we've written uh, you know, a good bit of commentary about this, is that when the Fed historically pivots, that is not, and again, a pivot not being slowing down the pace of rate hikes. Pivot is reversing course on action. And, you know, while there's a lot of investors that have never been through a bear market today, you know, just even the most recent event of a Fed pivot was in 2018. The Fed's hiking rates are tapering their balance sheet. In September, they say, hey, we're nowhere clear, uh, close to the neutral rate. The market declines by 20 percent. President Trump is throwing a hissy fit over Jerome Powell at that point. And Powell comes out and says, hey, we're done hiking rates. And they start cutting rates four months later. That is a pivot, right? But the right. stock market was down 20% and then rebounded. And, of course, then, you know, there was a lot of other things that were going on behind the scenes. But there was clearly some problems underneath the surface with the markets that the Fed was bailing out. And, and that's, you know, where we're going to get to at some point is that when the Fed does make that turn, it's not going to be just because you know, they have nothing better to do, they're going to be solving a problem of some sort, whether it's a bank, a financial market, uh, instability, you know, whatever it is. Right. And look, the only way for that, what Lance just said to not be true is if we get a nice soft landing. But the Fed, if you just listen to their speeches, they're telling you the odds of a soft landing are basically slim to none and slim just left town. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. I mean, it may happen and we have to be aware of that, but the odds are steadily increasing as they do more and more that the pivot is not going to be a friendly pivot. Yeah. Like, like I think a lot of investors, they've become accustomed to it, right? 2019 was a friendly pivot. There really was no problem. The Fed started lowering rates. This was before COVID. We had pivots with QE in, you know, between 20, 2010 and 2019, where the Fed would go back to QE without an emergency. This is not that Fed. This Fed is very concerned with inflation and to some degree, rightfully so. They're seeing employees ask for more and more. And those way higher wages get pushed through the prices. And that is a huge concern of theirs. Mm -hmm. And they want to make sure that it doesn't get that it doesn't get going, that the, that the motor doesn't start humming along 
and creating a multi-year problem of high inflation. Yeah. Now, look, high inflation is not 8% or 7%, but three and a half, four and a half percent inflation is not what the Fed wants either. Right. And, and again, that's and that's the important point here is that, you know, the Fed is is focused on this kind of 2% goal. And, and, and to your point, they've been very clear that that is their goal. And they've made, you know, statements saying, hey, look, some economic pain is, is going to be, you know, part of this equation. There's no way around it. Uh, Jerome Powell, in his latest commentary, his latest speech following the uh, last FOMC meeting was, you know, he made very clear. He's like, look, he said that window for a soft landing is narrowing. Uh, he can't come out and say, and, and you've got to read into that because Jerome Powell can't come out and say, hey, um, we're going to push the economy into a recession to, to, to kill inflation. He can't say that because then everybody's, you know, the market's going to be down 30% over the next few days. And, you know, the, you'll get this you know, uh, drag on economic growth because consumers are just going to contract. You know, if, if hey, you're going to push into an economy, I'm going to take defensive action. So it would cause a self-fulfilling prophecy that would create an almost immediate recession if he would say something like that. So you have to read into what he's saying is that if that window for a soft landing is narrowing, he's pretty much telling you it's already closed. He just right. can't say that. Right. And if you listen to some of the other speeches, I, I think it was either Daly or Warren or one of them said something to the effect that we, unemployment's three and a half percent now. They'd mm-hmm. like to see it at four and a half to five percent. They they basically said, and no one picks up on this, that they want one to one and a half percent of workforce fired. Yep, that's what they're telling you. When have you ever heard the Fed ever say something like that? The well, Fed is scared of inflation, and the Fed is not backing down. And it's it's very clear every single speaker is telling you that and they will use every single opportunity they have to enforce to push that onto the market. And when the market gets into this pivot bullish mode, it angers the Fed and the Fed. It's you know, I wrote an article about this a month or two. It's a game of whack-a-mole. You have Powell with the big hammer nailing down the bulls every time they get a little too optimistic about a pivot. And, you know, with this rally, that's where we're at again. We're at the point where the Fed is probably getting very uncomfortable that financial conditions are getting easier, not tighter. Yeah. And again, this is going to be something that, you know, investors need to pay attention to this now, you know, and, and again, when we come back from the break, I want to talk, you know, switch gears here. So we've laid this whole thing out now. Now, what does that mean to do with portfolios? Because it doesn't mean go hiding cash, right? Because while there are some certain things that we're talking about, it doesn't mean that the market has to crash. And that is the other problem here of navigating that. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away.
get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. So investing in an uncertain market, that's really the problem that investors have currently. And, you know, I do a lot of podcasts and stuff with other people. And as you know, as we talk about these things, you know, what what is important is making sure that you don't let biases impact your portfolio management. And again, it's very easy right now. So Mike and I have just been talking about all the reasons why, look, the Fed's not going to pivot. This is going to impact markets. There's very likely a chance that we're going to have not just a recession, but maybe a fairly you know, strong recession. You know, there's a lot of, and, and which would mean lower asset prices. So it's like, well, why be in the market, right? Well, the problem is, as we've talked about before, is that, you know, while the, you know, there's evidence that supports what Mike and I are talking about. It doesn't mean that the markets will play out that way. Now, I wouldn't expect a strong rally, right? Wouldn't expect the markets taking off in another 2020 type run because there's simply just not the liquidity available in the market, right? That's, you know, markets need liquidity and there's not that there at the moment. But there's also nothing that says the market cannot just, you know, flop around here where we are just up as we've been doing really since June, you know, the markets have not gone anywhere since really June, we just been going up and down, just trending sideways. And it feels terrible. It sucks, you know, emotionally, because it's very depressing, because things aren't working out. But it doesn't mean the markets have to crash from here. And this is so the problem with being all in cash is that if the market does start, you know, running off at some point, because, you know, maybe Mike and I are entirely wrong. And on December the 15th at the next Fed meeting, the Fed comes out and says, ah, we changed our mind. We're dropping rates to zero, right? The market's going to go screaming off higher, um, you know, and then it's too late for you to try to get back in. So this is why we talk a lot about portfolio management, risk management, you know, re reducing risk, not going all the cash, just having less exposure and then picking your spots where your exposure is. And, and there's also a big difference between where the index is and what the index does. Just because the index goes has another leg lower doesn't mean every stock will go lower. This year is a good example of this. Every sector in the market is lower this year except energy, which is up like 40% for the year. So it doesn't mean that everything goes down with the market. This is the only problem with passive investing is that you just kind of ride the markets up and down. But there are spots in every market where there are places to make money. And so this is this is part of that process. Mike, you know, this is one of the challenges that we're going to have going into next year is trying to pick and, and, and invest capital where there's the least amount of risk to the principal and the potential to make a, a bit of a return. And one of those areas, of course, has been one of the most hated assets this year, which has been bonds. 
Right. Yeah, I, I, it's a very tough job mentally what investors are dealing with now. You're very conflicted. You have on one hand this macro environment that kind of screams we're potentially going to a recession, that the Fed is pulling liquidity from markets, that interest rates are higher. But there's these markets turn on a dime. And, and I keep keep thinking about March of 2020, two year, two and a half years ago, the world was coming to an end economically, right? We had this pandemic sweeping through the country. Everyone was scared to death of it. The, you know, there were people outside of hospitals and lines. You know, they didn't have enough hospital space. The environment couldn't be worse. They were shutting down. Literally, planes weren't flying. Hotels were not open. Restaurants were closing down. The whole economy was shut down to a degree that, you know, we have never seen. Market embarked on one of the greatest rallies it's had in late March of 2020 in that environment. So the point is, you have to keep your head on a swivel. You have to understand every point of view. We we have to understand why the, the Fed would pivot. We have to understand why the market thinks the Fed will pivot. We don't necessarily have to agree or disagree, but we just have to be open to a huge range of scenarios ranging from anywhere from depression to huge pivot and massive upside. And we're constantly looking at all those assets. We, we have a huge pool of assets we can choose from, and not all of them will go the way of the market, either up or down. And one of the assets that's been down this year has been bonds. And the question is, now we can look at bonds, we can look at stocks, we can look at types of stocks. Uh, like you said, energy had, has had a very good year. And there are other stocks that are up this year or you know close to flat this year, but paying a nice dividend. So, you know, it's incumbent upon us to to preserve some cash because this is a risky environment and there's a lot of vol potential volatility out there and we want to shield our investments from that. But at the same time, look for opportunity. And Lance, like you said, I think bonds are a great opportunity here. You know, treasury bonds, you're not taking any credit risk. They're risk free. Yielding roughly four percent, a little under four percent. You're making a bet on the next 10 years that inflation will be 4% or less, which I think is a pretty good bet. Yes, this year, that's not going to happen. But historically, the Treasury yield has been less than the rate of inflation. So you're able to lock in an investment that's risk-free that will provide you positive purchasing power potentially for the next 10 years. Yeah, and, and you know, it's always interesting to me, too, is that, you know, you know, we talk to a lot of investors, you know, when the market's, you know, down or negative or whatever, they're like, well, if I could just get three, four percent of my money, I'd be happy. And right. then, so here's a, a risk free asset basically giving you four percent on on your money and nobody wants them right now. Um, biggest drawdown in bond prices since, you know, the late 1700s and nobody wants to buy bonds. But the other thing, too, is, is that if inflation does come down, if the Fed does pivot, if the economy does go into a recession, if employment does rise, if if any of those things start to happen, that is all bond friendly in terms of bond prices. Money will move from risk assets into safety assets. That's bonds. Yields will fall as inflation falls, as economic growth declines, because yields are a function of, of the economy. So if yields fall and we go and, and which we've already seen a little bit here just since the last CPI report, yields are already kind of anticipating slower paces of inflation. 
then that's going to suggest higher bond prices. We've already seen bond prices go up. And if bond prices just return back to where they were, you know, this is an asset that could return 40, 50, 60, 70 percent in just the next year, just as it as inflation and the economy returns back to what it should be anyway uh, on normality. And I think here's a huge distinction going forward, not necessarily what we've been through for the last nine months, but going forward, the Fed right now, with their very aggressive stance, with their hawkish rhetoric, is the bond market's best friend. Mm -hmm. Now, we got to distinguish in a bond market. It's not the best friend of someone that has a one-year bond necessarily, because the Fed could move rates to five and a half or 6%. Right. But if you own a 10-year or 20, 30-year bond, you want the Fed to be as aggressive as aggressive as possible. You you I hate to say it, but you want a recession. Yeah. You want lower inflation. And that's what the Fed is doing. You want higher unemployment. That's what the Fed is doing. They're telling you they're doing it. They're actually doing it. They're talking the talk and walking the walk. And every time the Fed makes statements and look, go through the wires every day, there's some statement that it's almost shocking that's coming out of Fed out of a Fed member's mouth. This is nothing that we've seen in the last 30, 40 years, them speaking like this very bluntly about what they want to engineer. And it's not a soft landing. That's not really what they want to engineer. So every time the Fed gets more aggressive, it in the long run is bond long term, long maturity, again, not one year bonds, 7, 10, 20, 30 year bond friendly. Yep. And that's kind of, that that is a very good bet now that the Fed will keep this up. Yep. Again, if the Fed pivots, it's because there's a financial crisis, again, which helps bonds. So even if the Fed does pivot, unless they pivot for no good reason, mm -hmm. because they don't like what's going on in the stock market or because of political reasons, Pretty much anything that goes on here should, at a minimum, be bond neutral and hopefully bond friendly. Yeah. And the again, risk being that the Fed can't control inflation. Yeah. And, and the important thing here is, is and what you're saying is something I said at the, towards the beginning of the show today, which is the Fed controls the short end of the yield curve. So when the Fed hikes rates, that immediately impacts the three-month Treasury up to the two-year Treasury. But so everything on that on on that very short end of the Treasury spectrum. Uh, that really reflects kind of what Fed is doing. But the long end is controlled by economics right? and and how markets and finance, et cetera, view economic outcomes. And that includes inflation. What's what's the trend of inflation? What's the trend of economic growth? You know, what does this mean for jobs, employment, those type of things? So the more and to your exactly to your point, while the Fed is controlling the short end of the curve, that is also starting to weigh on that long end of the curve because of exactly what they're saying is like, we want to slow the economy, which means that yields will be lower in the future, not higher. And that's, right. the, that's the one thing that investors have, have a real hard time distinguishing. I get a lot of emails saying, why do I want to buy bonds? The Fed's still hiking rates. That's exactly why you want to buy long bonds. You know, right. when, and when you don't a, want to own buy. You don't want to buy. Everybody wanted to buy bonds when yields were at one percent. That didn't make any sense. Now you want to buy right. them and nobody wants them. And look, you can look at the two ten year yield curve. It's at the lowest level in forty plus years. Yeah, that that's telling you the same thing. Yeah, and, and again, we've and actually, real quick, plug for our commentary. We have a little short note on two year notes and what they're pricing in. And if you read that little piece, 
it helps explain what buyers or sell or short sellers of two-year notes are thinking in regards to the Fed and how the Fed affects the two-year yield. Yeah, and that's in our daily commentary today. It's actually on the website right now. If you simply go to realinvestmentadvice.com, right there on the homepage, you can read today's commentary. Make sure you subscribe to it. We send it out every morning. It hits your email box precisely at 7.30 before the market opens. We do a market trading update every day, give you the latest earnings, the latest economic data that's coming out, just to have you all set up for your trading day. That's every morning. Simply subscribe at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Also, make sure you're subscribed right next button to that one for the newsletter. That'll be out this weekend as well. Gives you a complete update into the markets, technical statistics, what we're doing with our portfolios, a whole lot more. That's every weekend. Simply subscribe to the newsletter at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow.